Sermon 669, Hallelujah Joy, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, December 23, 1973. The text is Luke, the first chapter, the 44th verse. For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. During the years, Bakerstown Church has received a great blessing from God's Holy Spirit. And it has also been the recipient of many generous gifts by faithful members and friends of her congregation. And on this Christmas Sunday, 1973, it is my joy to announce to you that we again have received another handsome gift for the use of the congregation. These gifts, I'm sure many of you have recognized them already, for they're in the pew racks right before you. I mentioned the copies of the Holy Bible, which now appear in every pew rack of this great sanctuary. Now, unlike some of the Christmas gifts that you will receive, this one is to be used. And we intend every Sunday or at every worship service from this day forth to use these Bibles in our worship services. It is our intent that when the preacher for the day reads the scriptural text, that the congregation will follow by reading from this holy word. So if you would please this day read with me Luke the first chapter, the 43rd verse. rather beginning at the 39th verse. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his prosperity forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This opportunity for following along in the word of God has been given to us as a gift in the form of the copies of this Holy Scripture by a person who wishes to remain anonymous. But if you will notice on the fly leaf, this Bible was presented by a friend. God's good friend has provided all of us with the light which is to be unto our path and which is to be a lamp unto our feet. Let us thank God for this gift of his eternal word. Father, on this particular day when we commemorate and think of the time when the word of God was made flesh in Jesus Christ, we thank you for the written word and may we know in this sanctuary, not only this day, but in many days yet to come, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and it has been given to us by inspiration from thee for our edification forever and ever. Amen. I can remember in seminary one of my professors telling us the story which he said happened in one of the large city congregations that was rather sober and very sleepy. It happened when the preacher ascended the pulpit and he began to preach, he found that most every point that he made and every sentence that he spoke was punctuated by some loud free spirit in the back of the sanctuary who let go with a voice so that everybody could hear, Hallelujah! Amen! Praise the Lord! So be it. Now this kind of flustered the preacher and he didn't know what to do. And when preachers are in that situation, there's only one thing that they can do, and he did it. He glanced towards the head usher, giving him that, I don't care what you do, but do something in a hurry, quick look. And the head usher went and tried to find from whence came the loud sound. And when he located the individual, he immediately recognized that that person was not a regular 
partaker of the service of worship, nor was he a member of the congregation. But nevertheless, the, the head usher went and tapped the man on the shoulder and said, Please, don't you know that this is a worship service? To which the man said, Yes, I do, and that's exactly what I'm doing. And he let go with another, Hallelujah, Amen, praise the Lord. The preacher was getting more perturbed. The head usher was getting more angry, and the man just got louder and louder. Finally, the usher said to him, Please, sir, if you do not stop, I will have to ask you to leave this solemn service. Now look here, brother, said the parishioner. I was always taught back home in my home church that I was to make a joyful noise unto the Lord and to praise his holy name, and that is exactly what I am doing now in this church, what I learned in my home church. To which the head usher responded, well, shut up, because you certainly didn't learn it in this church. <laughs> One of the great things, I think, about Bakerstown Church is that we do know how to make a joyful noise under the Lord. Sunday after Sunday, I don't know any congregation that is so consistent in their strong singing in the presence of the Lord, as is this congregation supported by this great hallelujah chorus. I don't know, I, I stopped, and I'm sure Adam was not the only one, when as we joined together singing joy to the world, the Lord has come. I couldn't help but feeling the radiation and the power coming from these many voices wanting to stop and quietly say to myself, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, and, and that's the way it ought to be. Now, I don't intend in any way to be any type of a prophet. But though some of us are not going to like it, and it's going to take a lot of us much time to get used of it, used to it. I really think that the way things are going in worship circles today, that the time is coming when you are going to hear more response from people in the congregation during services of worship. We're going to hear shouts of acclamation. We're going to hear more expression of people praising the Lord. You know, that, that's right. They say it's going to be a little hard on some of us who are rather conservative and quiet and think of worship as being very solemn. But the freedom which is being expressed by people and the freedom which more people are beginning to recognize in the movement of the Spirit of God, I really think is going to cause that to happen in the lifetime of some of us present this morning. And, as I say, it's probably a good thing. Because, you know, Jesus, whose body today is the church, and whose Holy 
Spirit is released upon the world everywhere. When that Jesus walked upon the face of the earth on the Palestinian soil nearly 2,000 years ago, he was not only a man of sorrows and one acquainted with grief, but he was a person of joy. When the disciples saw him, says the gospel, they were glad. We're never glad to see someone who is gloomy and who is a pessimist and who is negative and who's no fun. No! But somebody who is full of joy and happiness, you're always happy to see that kind of an individual. And the disciples then, when they saw Jesus, they were glad. You see, Jesus had in him that certain something, that indefinable, undescribable something that all of us want and far too few possess. He had that combination which simultaneously has the ability to bring a tap to the foot, a thrill to the heart, a tingling to the spine, and a twinkle to the eye. And nobody could miss it. He had joy. And what's more, he wanted us to have the same joy that was in him. The worst night in the life of Jesus, the worst night he ever spent on earth, was the night before he died. And he took his disciples and he went there in an upper room. And he knew that before the next night would come, he would be dead. He knew that within the next few hours, he would be cursed at, beat up, spat upon. In the next few minutes, he knew that that his friends would desert him, and one of his best friends would deny that he ever knew it. And still, with all of that on his heart and in his mind, our Lord, according to John's Gospel, talked in that upper room to his disciples about joy and about rejoicing. Eight times he uses either the word joy or rejoicing in those discourses. <coughs> and one of the most important things that he said in that horrible moment to his disciples is this. These words have I spoken unto you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus, the man of joy, wanted his joy to be in us, and he wanted us to have a joy so full that I call it a hallelujah joy. You have it? You have it? Jesus wants you to have it, and he tells you you can have it. He's given us the opportunity to have hallelujah joy. You get it, you see? The same way he got it. The same joy that was in him can be in you the same way that it was in him. And he got it by hearing again and again and again God's good news. Hearing again and again God's good news. 
That's where you find the joy. You see, we never need to be reminded of bad news because we hear that news from all different sources and from all different voices. You can't pick up the newspaper or turn on a radio or the television newscast without hearing the voices of bad news, either through the news reporting or through the editorializing which is done. We, we know we're kind of in a mess, that things aren't so good. And through these voices of the mass media, we constantly are being told that we're not doing a very good job of this. And that's bad news. You, you can't even come to church on Sunday without hearing the bad news that we're not living up to the expectation that God has for us when he created us. That all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, any church that's doing its business, it must preach that bad news before it can pass out the good news. But even in church, you see, we are confronted with bad news. The voice of the mass media, the voice of the church, but that's not the voice that gives to you and me the worst news. Now that voice speaks several times every day, doesn't it? And it's the voice that is still and is small and is quiet. The voice called conscience. That's where we get the worst news. How many times do you say to yourself every day, I goofed again. How could I be so stupid? I'm not very good, am I? I'm not okay. I wish I could change. I'm just like that guy in the Bible who said, the things that I ought to be doing, I don't do. And those things that I should not be doing, those are the things that I do. Oh, wretched person that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Some of us don't like ourselves very well. It creeps out in all sorts of different funny games that we play. That's bad news. We wish that we could start over again. We wish that we would learn. We wish that we could be kinder, lovelier, quieter, more loving than we are. And that's the bad news we live with day in and day out. But there's good news, and the good news of the gospel is that God loves you, that God will forgive you if you will confess your sins. He is just and willing to forgive you. The good news is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. 
that because of the death of Jesus Christ, God has forgiven us and we are in paradise again. That's the good news. The good news, you see, came down on Christmas Day. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, for unto you is born this city in the city of David, a Savior. Hallelujah! We and this world, we have a Savior. That's the good news, and you've got to hear it, and hear it, and hear it. And when you hear it, and believe it, and you're born again, and you have hallelujah joy. <laughs> Hearing again God's good news, seeing again how important individually we are here in life. That's how you have hallelujah joy, when you realize, when you see again and again how important you are in the sight of God. You see, that, that, that's one of just the many things that Christmas brings to us. It brings to us the message which God wanted us to know from the beginning of our life and which some of us never catch on to, that in the sight of God, the individual is important. Look at, look at Mary. You, you read that magnificent, which has come down to us from the hands of Dr. Luke. She is a young girl, perhaps a teenager, she's pure, she's innocent, and she's going to have a baby, and she is not married, and we find her soul magnifying the Lord, her spirit rejoicing in God, her Savior. Now what would she, in that kind of trouble, find to rejoice in and to have her soul magnified? It's there in the Magnificent, because he has seen the low estate of his handmaiden, and henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. <coughs> you see, Jesus at Christmas told a young girl, you're important. I need you and I love you. And she, in spite of her troubles, her difficulties, the scandal she would bring, she was filled with hallelujah joy. Those shepherds up there on the hillside, they didn't know to whom all the angel was speaking, but one thing was true that they knew was that the angel was speaking unto them. For they understood the message, I bring you good news of great joy, for you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And they caught that you and interpreted as saying me, and they did what shepherds never do. They left their sheep and they went over to see this thing which had come to pass. They were important. And Christmas made them realize they're important. And that babe that they found in swaddling clothes, you know, he grew up. And what was his message in life? He said to everyone and anyone who had ears to hear, I love you, and 
In the sight of God, my father, you are important. Whether it was to a tax collector who was corrupt and who found himself up in a tree, whether it was to a blind man by the side of the road, whether it was to a little children, to a little child who needed love, or whether it was to a thief who was hanging on the next cross, Jesus said, I see you, and you are important, and I love you. <laughs> you see, that is what makes us full of hallelujah joy knowing that we are important. You remember when someone near and dear said to you those three big little words, I love you. You just tingled all over. I hope some of you are still tingling when somebody says that unto you, a husband or a wife, son or a daughter, father or mother. You're going to die. You know you are important because somebody loves you. Just as the most important people in the world are the people whom you love. So, to God, the most important people in this world are those who love. And God so loved us that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, we've got to become more like little Humphrey. Remember little Humphrey? He's that little teenage boy who delivered groceries in the neighborhood, and one day he carried packages up to a new family who had moved into the community, and the woman said, trying to make conversation, and fine, little boy, what's your name? He said, Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart, my, that's a very famous and important name, is it not? He said, it ought to be. I've been delivering groceries in this neighborhood for three years. You see? Importance does not come from how many bucks you have to buy something, nor does it come from the power that you possess, nor from the fame with which you fight, but it comes because of who you are. Not what you have said or have not said, not what you have done or have not done, but because of who you are, and you are a child of God whom your Father loves, and that makes you important, and when you feel important, that gives you hallelujah joy. But you've got to see that. You've got to see that over and over again. You hear God's good news. You see how important you are in life. And you feel that day that is within you leaps for joy. That day. And of course, I don't mean just a boy child or a girl child that may be in you now, but I mean that day which God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, has planted in you in the form of an idea, a thought, a hope, or a dream. Feel the joy as that little day jumps right now 
get in your heart, your mind, your soul. Feel it. You see, God has placed in each one of us something which we can't really describe, but which is there, and which at Christmas time, I think more than any other season of the year, is crying to leap for joy. You read it. Elizabeth had a visitor, Mary, who now was impregnated by the power of the Holy Spirit with Jesus. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, when she knew that she was important, she said, the babe has leaped in me for joy. That babe is within you that God has planted by the power of his Spirit. Feel that baby leap and let her leap for joy. You see, that's why I like Christmas so much. Because that babe leaps in us more Christmas time than, than any other time. You see, Christmas does that. It's the song in the air, the spirit that, that is amongst people. This church is filled today because of Christmas. You see, because of that, that babe that is within us, that is struggling to be born, that, that wants to bring on this earth through us something wonderful, something fulfilled, something bright, something of peace and hope and love and joy. Let that be born. 